Good morning. You know, this past week in Charlotte Hall, Charlotte Hall, Maryland, just a little south of Washington, D.C., an interesting thing happened. A beaver walked through an automatic sliding door into a dollar store looking for trees. And to his great dismay, he only found artificial Christmas trees. True story, he began to vandalize, figuratively speaking, the place, because all he could find was artificial Christmas trees. And uh, the local beaver police showed up, also known as animal control, and they took him where there were some real trees. But I just thought that was kind of, kind of a, fun, a fun story. And a true story of bad news for a store owner, bad news for a beaver, but don't you wish that all of the news was like that? I, would that not be more fun? I mean, I'd even contribute to the store owner to help cover the cost of that. I just, it's, it would be, uh, be so much better. But sadly, uh, our news is not like that. Uh, nowadays, you and I are inundated daily with stories of violence and theft and deceit. And I could go on. I mean, bad news literally fills our world. It fuels our media. According to the Bible, it's as prevalent in our world as it is because of the destructive presence of sin that quietly resides of all places inside of me, inside of you, inside of all of us. That would be horribly bad news in and of itself if it wasn't for the extraordinary good news that the Bible also offers and communicates throughout its pages. And that's what we want to focus on this morning, the good news that kind of counteracts the other. If you have your Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 10 this morning. That's where we're going to be, uh, biblically speaking. We're going to look at Romans 10 uh, with me. And uh, this passage is full of good news for a world that's drowning in bad news. We're going to reflect together on what it has to say to all of us. So as you turn there, just Romans chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 9 is where we're going to be. Romans 10, verse 9. Follow along in the text with me once you get there. Or if you can't find it there, you can follow it on the screen with me there, okay? The Bible says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, some translations say, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You know, according to these verses, every one of us has an extraordinary message of good news from God. Every one of us has this message to personally embrace and then to openly communicate to the people who are around us. We've got good news, not just for ourselves, but for others. And when I look at these verses, when I look at this passage, I see three headlines, three news headlines from heaven that just stand out to me. And for the next few moments, what I want us to do is I want to highlight those headlines for you, apply them to us, 
Because I think if you'll listen carefully, if you'll reflect on what God is saying to us through these verses, I think that these verses can lift your spirits. I think they'll clarify a part of God's plan for your life and mine. I think they'll even add meaning to your Christmas season and even the relationships that you have in your world related to that. So my hope is that you'll listen close, you'll reflect on this, and listen to whatever God may want to say to you this morning through all of this time in this passage. First headline that I see that just jumps out at me in Romans 10 is this. Salvation is possible. Salvation is possible. Rescue from the corruption of sin and the consequences of evil in our world is possible. We don't have to give in to it. Resistance is not futile. In fact, what we see in Scripture is that victory is assured. This is what Scripture is telling us. That's why Jesus was born. That's why he was crucified. That's why he was resurrected, triumphant over it all. I want you to listen to what Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was told about the child, the special child who was to be born to Mary, who was his engaged wife. Not his wife yet, engaged to her, okay? Listen to what uh, the angel says in Matthew 1. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, to to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not by you, but by the Holy Spirit. That's what the passage says. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, or the Hebrew word is Yeshua, is the name, for he will save his people from their sins. What's significant about understanding the Hebrew name Yeshua The word Yeshua, the name, literally means Savior, salvation. That's what it means. So literally, his name was salvation. Salvation is possible. The angel was announcing, finally, finally, after centuries and centuries of waiting since the garden, salvation is possible. Listen to what Jesus himself had to say about this in John 3, 17. He records his words in this passage. Said, he's saying, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. I want you to just pause right there. Think about how many people think God sent Jesus into the world the first time to catch him doing something bad. He sent him to, to point out everything that was wrong. It was just what people thought then and people still think to this day often. That's not why he came. God sent his son into the world, Jesus said, not to judge the world, but to save the world, save the world through him. He tells us in Luke 19.10 a similar thing. He says, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, the extraordinary good news of the Christmas season and the teachings of Scripture is that salvation and rescue from the corruption and sin, of sin and the consequences of sin in our world is possible. It is possible. It is available. And for all who want to experience the salvation that Jesus has made available, Romans 10, 9 and 10, doesn't leave us confused about what to do about that. Verse 9 and 10 tells us what to do. Look at those verses. If you openly declare, or some translations say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring or confessing your faith with your mouth that you are saved. So my question for you is, have you confessed Jesus as Lord, you openly declared that with your mouth, with your life. Will you believe what the Scriptures teach? 
Well, you believe that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for your sin and judgment, but He was resurrected from the grave because He was righteous and without sin. Did you track with that? He was crucified as a substitute for your sin and judgment, but He was resurrected because He was righteous and without sin. It would have been cosmically unjust for the Father to leave Him in the grave because He was without sin. So He was dying for you and me. But in an amazing way, He was being resurrected for you and me too. Resurrected for His own righteousness, but on Easter we learn that we benefit from His resurrection and His righteousness. Will you believe what the Scriptures clearly and repeatedly teach about this? By believing in your heart, Romans 10 says, you'll be made right with God, and by openly declaring your faith, you'll be saved. Which brings us to the second headline in this passage that just leaps out at me when I look at it. The second headline is this. Salvation is available to everyone. It's available to everyone. To everyone who confess Jesus and believe. Look at Romans 10, verses 11 to 13 with me uh, quickly. As the Scriptures tell us, the passage says... Anyone, say it with me, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. The passage goes on and says, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. If you know the Hebrew writings in the Old Testament, you know that there's only two classifications of people. There's Jews and everybody else. Gentiles, right? Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. Both have salvation available to them, is what the passage is saying. They have the same Lord who gives generously to how many who call on Him? What's the passage say? All. All, everyone who calls on Him. And it goes on in verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's extraordinary good news that salvation is available to everyone who will call out to Jesus. To everyone. I was thinking about that this past week when I ran across an article it was published last year in uh, news magazine uh, Christianity Today. Maybe some of you have read it, seen it before. Uh, they've actually abbreviated the name to CT now. I don't know why, but Christianity Today is what it is. Uh, the article tells about a woman by the name of Nicole Cliff, is her name, who uh, became a Christian on July 7, 2015, after what she called, quote, a very pleasant adult life of firm atheism. I want you to listen carefully to what she, uh, what she writes. It's, it's really insightful. Just, just listen carefully. She writes, The idea of a benign deity who created and loved us was obviously nonsense, she writes. And all that awaited us beyond the grave was joyful oblivion. I, I had no untapped, unanswered yearnings at all. But here's how she described what happened to her. She writes, first, I was worried about my child. One time I caught myself saying, be with me, to an empty room. It was embarrassing. I didn't know why I said it or to whom. I, I brushed it off. I moved on. The situation resolved itself. I didn't think about it again. Second, I came across an obituary 
for the Christian philosopher Dallas Willard that John Ortberg wrote and published in Christianity Today, CT magazine. John's daughters are dear friends, she writes, and they have always struck me as, quote, sweetly deluded in their evangelical faith. So I read the article. In it, John described how somebody had once asked Dallas if he believed in total depravity. Quote, I believe in sufficient depravity, Dallas responded immediately. I believe that every human being is sufficiently depraved that when we get to heaven, no one will be able to say, I merited this. A few minutes into reading the piece, I burst into tears, she writes. Later that day, I burst into tears again. And the next day, while brushing my teeth, while falling asleep, while in the shower, while feeding my kids, I would randomly burst into tears. Nicole goes on to tell how she read more Christian books, and over time, as she would read these, uh, she cried over and over again. She emailed a Christian friend and asked if she could talk with her friend about Jesus, and she writes these words. About an hour before our call, I knew. I believed in God. Worse yet, I was becoming a Christian. I was crying constantly while thinking about Jesus because I'd begun to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. So when my friend called, she writes, I told her awkwardly that I wanted to have a relationship with God and we prayed together. She goes on and said, And since then, I've been dunked by a pastor in the Pacific Ocean while shivering in a wetsuit. I've sung Be Thou My Vision and celebrated communion on a beach while weirded out Californians tiptoed around me. I go to church, I pray, and I continue to cry a lot. She concludes by writing, I recently read a news article that literally sank me to my knees at how broken this world is and and yet how stubbornly resilient and joyful we can be in the face of that brokenness. My Christian conversion has granted me no simplicity. It has complicated all of my relationships, changed how I feel about money, messed up my public persona, and more. But obviously, it's been very beautiful. You know what's most beautiful about her story? Besides the fact that it's a true one. So when the Bible says salvation is available to everyone who will call out to Jesus, it means just that. Everyone. Everyone who will humble themselves enough to look heavenward and acknowledge that I'm not God and there must be a real God in the world. And he's proven that he's cared for me through Jesus. And I need help. I need him. To that person, salvation is available. Even if you're an atheist. Which brings to mind a question. What about those who don't know to call out to Jesus? Or in the words of Romans 10, 14, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We could take a few minutes and we could go back if we wanted to belabor the conversation. We could look at Psalm 19 where it talks about how the... The heavens declare the glory and the presence of God, and without words they proclaim day and night throughout the earth. Without a word, his, his presence and glory is revealed to all who have a heart to see and eyes to hear, ears to hear and eyes to see. But in particular, the question spotlights the third headline that just jumps out at me in the, uh, this passage, and the third headline is this. Salvation is our message to tell. It's not just possible. It's not just available to all who cry out to God. It is our message to tell. God wants you and me to personally embrace and then openly communicate to the people who are around us that salvation is possible and available to all who turn to Jesus. This is the extraordinary message of good news that God wants everyone to personally hear. For those who don't personally hear it, it's declared throughout the heavens, throughout the earth. It's present, but his deep longing is that every person will hear from another person with skin on it. That there's a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them. So I need to ask you, who in your relational world right now doesn't believe in God, Jesus, or the Bible? Who in your sphere of relationships may not know the real story behind Christmas? They got Santa Claus figured out. They got Black Friday and shopping down. But this whole baby born in a manger thing, they're just not sure about that. What they, They've kind of marginalized that whole idea. Who in your sphere of relationships struggles with Jesus' lordship, resurrection, birth, Here's what the passage, what God wants us to know, is that salvation is our message to tell. Will you reach out to them? The people who are in your sphere of relationships. Will you verbalize your faith? Will you publicly, openly declare? Will you go on record in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your athletic team, will you, will you stop being shy about your faith? Here's the thing. It's possible to openly acknowledge that I'm a believer in Jesus and a follower of Him without being argumentative or obnoxious. In fact, sometimes people assume all Christians are that way because so many Christians are tight-lipped about their faith. If we just gave them a few more examples of believers who had a message to gently and lovingly tell, perhaps the perception of some would change. And with Christmas approaching, you have the absolute optimal opportunity to bring up spiritual matters in a non-threatening, non-confrontational kind of way. 
And you know, if you find a little receptivity, invite them to join you to come to one of our services in the next few weeks. I can say things that you maybe can't. <laughs> and with them, guess what? You can disagree with me openly. Oh, he's, he's all whacked out on that. You can say whatever you want to say that way. But uh, here's the thing. You and me together have a message to tell here. And I can do my part. You got to do yours. That's what God's calling all of us to do. In a world that's drowning in bad news, does it make sense to keep the good news to ourselves? Does it make sense? God's help you and I can do this. We must do this. For the sake of those that Jesus suffered and died on behalf of. You know, a few moments we're going to share in a communion time. Our ushers are going to be passing among us our communion trays. Each tray has some pieces of bread on it, has some cups of juice, grape juice. The bread and juice, many of you know, are reminders. They're physical reminders of Christ's death, reminders of, of Jesus' Uh, sacrifice and suffering, the price of our salvation, a reminder of God's love for us, a reminder of many, many things. As we prepare to eat a piece of the bread and drink one of the cups of juice in just a moment, I invite you, before we do that, just to bow your heads with me. I know our ushers go ahead and prepare what you're going to be doing. But while they're doing that, I just invite the rest of you. Let's bow our heads together. And I want to give you a moment, even as we're here together, just to call out to Jesus from your heart and your spirit. Just to acknowledge who he is and your need for him. And so I'm just going to kind of guide you in a little prayer here. Lord Jesus, we just call out to you for forgiveness and salvation to be applied to my life. That's what, I, that's what I ask of you. Cleanse me. Not because I deserve it, but because you want me. You've chosen me. You purchased me on the cross. And I am your inheritance. And you've already paid the price for me. Nothing else has to be done. Thank you for that. Just take a moment to confess to Jesus your belief in his death, burial, and resurrection. Just quietly in your spirit, just verbalize that. Take a moment to thank him for his sacrifice. And now, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would not only fill us and cleanse us, but that you would lead us to those in our sphere of relationships who need to know you, those that you're reaching out to that they're not hearing, or they just need someone with skin on them right now to come alongside of them. Give us courage 
and faith and the words to help point the people and our relationships toward you, toward you. Help us to communicate, to tell someone the extraordinary message of good news that you came that first Christmas to make available. Heavenly Father, fill us. Do more in us and through us than we could imagine, we could ever hope to, to conceive or experience. We need you. Our world needs you desperately, Lord. We appeal to you for help. We thank you that you intervened on the cross and by way of the empty tomb. We thank you that you intervened by sending your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would fill us with that same Holy Spirit. That we might be your witnesses. That the world might know that Jesus saves. That Jesus saves. And Lord, now as we share in the communion time together, we think about the fact that this this act even declares that. May we not only declare it with our actions, but may we declare it with our mouths openly. Today, tomorrow, all the days of our lives. This is our prayer. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. Amen.